0: Okay, we are in uh, Titus, lesson seven. If you don't have seven, there's some over there, I think. And basically what uh, uh, seven is about, well, I'm gonna read the verses and then you'll know what it's about. Starting in verse six, six through 10, likewise, Urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity of doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, and be well-pleasing and not argumentative not pilfering but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of god our god our savior in every respect so what what paul has done here is that he's written to titus and he has outlined for him uh um, behavior patterns for young men and we've spent time with older men and older women and uh I I'm, I'm still laughing about the fact that both older men and older women were exhorted not to drink alcohol but he doesn't say anything about that with young men in our society be the other way around <laughs> but uh so it's interesting that uh uh in this in this, uh, uh, these verses, that the, the focus is on, uh, what's the one word here that would tell us, uh, that would tell us really what a young man ought to be? He starts out uh, in verse uh, six by saying, likewise, urge young men to be sensible. What's Sensible.
1: Mine
0: says sober-minded. Sober-minded is a good word. King
1: James.
0: What's King James say? It it
1: says the same thing, (coughs) sober-minded.
0: Sober-minded. self control Say that again. Self-control. Self-control. So these young men ought to have their act together and not be, uh, and just as a quick review, to be a young man in this society, how old were you? Mm -hmm. To be an old man in this society or an old woman, what was the minimum age? In our societies, you get to be on Social Security at 62 and a half or Medicare at 65. What about this society? Forty. Forty was considered an older person. How do we know that? Huh? How do we know that? Because I read it somewhere. (laughs) Okay. That's the only. Actually, that's really the the right answer. I I read it in two or three different places and commenters who who talked about old men. I was surprised when I saw it. Forty. I'm surprised to have heard that too. Yeah. But uh, you know what? How long did people live in those days? I don't know. No, Paul lived a long time. Yeah. Most of the apostles lived a long time, especially John. So I don't know. Um, but I find it interesting that there's an anticipated maturity for young men. Notice that and young men probably twenties that at that point that they would be considered, uh, uh, like John talks about them that they're strong not only physically strong but morally emotionally uh temperamentally strong like he talks about in 1 John so uh a young a young person has a, a tremendous influence on the sphere of inf- uh, on the sphere that he's in and you f- I think you find here is that there are Anyways, we talked about this last week. Maybe a form of a question: Why was Paul encouraging young men to to be uh an example of good deeds, of purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, etc.? Why did he encourage pe- young men to be like that? Remember what we said. What is uh a, a, I'll pick on JD. What, who does Aiden look up to?
2: Well, you, are you asking me the question? Yeah. He looks up to his father. Yeah, looks up to you. looks up to his two grandfathers, one of which is here this weekend. Um, he looks up to you. He looks up to the other men in the church and the relationships that he that they have and he talks about it and he thinks about it. And what he doesn't talk about, he still observes. And it's I in see. the body. Yeah. It's in the body that he sees these older generations and how they look. And that's how I see
0: it too, you know? Does he look up to Travis Kelsey? <laughs> <laughs> I bet he does. I'm, I'm, he, oh, you're looking, you're looking for this, the sports side of, uh. No, what I'm looking for is this. Who do I, who do I as a young man look up to? Obviously I'm in a peer environment, like in high school. There were always guys in high school that were, um exemplar type of guys. Most of the time they were athletes. Yeah, that's a,
2: there's definitely the, the impact of athletic
0: heroism, if you will. Sure. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they were, uh, like the school I went to, a lot of times they were academic because it was an academic environment. I don't know what I was doing there, but, uh, but I mean, there were, there were guys in the class that you looked up to because they were good musicians. You know, not so much rock band, but uh, a concert band. And guys that, like we had a wonderful debate team. I mean, these guys at 15 years old, man, they they were amazing what they could do. I used to monitor, I was a referee in debates, and I was amazed at how their knowledge of that. And so they were an example, an example of what paul's talking about here to titus telling him people are going to look up to you and you're a young man and that's only normal you see that and so i think that uh, uh it's not um out of the purview of telling a young man you know you you have a responsibility as a young man To and to be this kind of a man, you know. Uh, Well, I I think that's one of the
2: things that's interesting about raising a believing young man, right? Versus, obviously, we all we all came to know the Lord at different ages. Um, But one of the benefits of raising children in the body is that they get to see these ages progress as men and women both alike mature Mm -hmm. and and i don't want to miss out on the fact that that what this is describing is not this list of of things that we're to do it's the things that we are because of our our walk with the lord um yeah we could say that much more deep deeply but those are the things that children and young children and then young women and young men, um, they see a functioning body uh, as God designed it. And they see it in a family. Uh They see it in, in their church. And then what they also see is the unfunctioning all around them. And that is that contrast is so huge. And I think that... <clears throat> you know, it says in verse 5 and in verse 6 to both the young women and to the young men that they're to be sensible. We mm-hmm. just described that word, to be sober-minded, to be temperate, um, you know, self-control, I think, was mentioned. These are the kinds of things that are the opposite of young men and young women, <laughs> typically, yeah. you know. Um it's very easy to get carried away and not to make sense of what's going on and to be self-controlled in those situations. Yeah. So here we are, you know, these, these young, young people under the age of 40 are, are learning to, to be sensible and pure and everything that the world tells them is not cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um,
1: Guys, oh I just you know I think the the key is the example um, you know whether it's example in sports or music or a debate team or whatever. what it means is someone to follow after you know it's looking at the the word there and it's uh, to whether is it to follow after be example um, I think the key is that you're following after that person and mm-hmm. Paul's saying, be a good example. Don't no. be a bad example no. because people will follow you. Mm-hmm. So he's he's exhorting mm-hmm. them to be something to be followed after. And I think that's his real encouragement, both for the men, women, and especially for the young men who could probably be more impactful in the society, to the families, to everything. Mm-hmm. He's saying, Be a good example because yeah. people will follow you.
0: Let's uh let's look at two quick verses. First Corinthians four sixteen. And the other one is First 1 Corinthians 11, 1. 1 Corinthians four sixteen. Got it? Go ahead.
1: Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day.
0: That's First Corinthians four
1: sixteen.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. That's, no. Oh,
1: that's second. Sorry about that. Oops. Someone else has it.
0: Got <laughs> she got the Muslim Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well,
2: okay,
1: here's here's the thing. Uh, therefore, I the imitators of me.
0: Okay, keep that in mind and look at First Corinthians eleven one. The imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Okay, so what Paul recognizes, I think, is the fact that <laughs> we are imitators. We do look at at. Uh, People within our peer group or or uh, older than us as examples. You know, we, uh, Don and I talk all the time about, we kind of, we're, we're watching our neighbors across the street and up one and both of them have one child and the children are like five years old or four years old and they really do imitate their parents and their parents are... Not to be imitated the one the one family you know, mom and dad sit in the garage and smoke marijuana, you know, and the other family the w- husband and wife is split, and we haven't seen the wife and the little boy in a long time, so young people pay attention to what their parents are doing they pay attention to to uh, uh um what peers are doing, they pay attention to, cause you, cause they don't know. I, I remember when I first became a Christian, I'm 35 and the first thing that hit me, I gotta watch these Christians and see what they do so I know how to act. Cause I didn't know how Christians function. I knew how Catholics function, but they weren't Christians. So <laughs> it's different. So we're always looking at each other. And so Paul recognizes that that's a principle. That's um, um, active within the society, and so he, you know, he says twice, "Be imitators of me." He's not talking about uh, I'm on the I'm on a, a platform, and you you know you need to be like me. But what he's saying is, I imitate. I have my focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you want to see a man who walks with the Lord and focuses on Him, I'm your guy. Yeah.
1: I was thinking, you know, uh, someone you were counseling that uh, was living with his girlfriend, and his comment to you was, that's that's what we do. Yeah. So you're, a, you're an example to the world.
0: That's exactly right. And, you know, the next comment I made to him, if you love her, you're going to move. <laughs> he looked at me like I was nuts. I said, no, one of you has got to move. You can't, if you're considering being married, you can't live together. Let's start now. Well, you know, they do, I mean, they look at you like, well, everybody does it. Yeah, and that's why over way over half of them don't last very long, because they didn't do it the Lord's way, you know. So Macaulay, Chester Macaulay in this uh, talked about three areas of uh, examples, and we'll go through them. First he was, Titus was to be an example in his works. In other words, uh, the word example is tupos, the English word, it means to, an imprint, imprint left by a blow and thus a pattern. You know, punch it in the sand and you leave your imprint in the sand. The second part, the second one is is that he's to be exemplary in his beliefs. His doctrine is to be unmixed with human viewpoint and unmixed with error. I think that's a huge one today. I mean, see, how do I say this without being too critical? In most of the... um, Christian men that I know that go to a reformed church or they go to a a make-you-feel-good church, they don't offer an example for young men to follow because they're kind of loose in the corners, you know. It's okay for you to be vulnerable as an adult, but you ought to be able to stand on something. What was J. Vernon McGee's great saying? (laughs) If you don't, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. That's a really good, you know. You've got to be settled down on 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 what you believe and what what you value and what your system is, you know. And I'm not talking about you need to be a premillennial dispensationalist, you know, that kind of thing. But you got to know at the very minimum what salvation is all about and how you get it. You know, so, and the last one is, his speech is to be beyond, beyond reproach. This word reproach means it can't be condemnatory. You know, I must admit, when I became a Christian, that was a big issue it with me. I had a, uh, personally, I had a, a Marine Corps tongue. <laughs> and Miles Stanford one time sent me a note. He said, Others can talk, but you can't. You can't talk like this, especially when I started teaching, you know. And so, uh, it was, a, it was an awakening for me, uh, to be aware of that, that everything you do, if you're in any kind of capacity with a an, an leadership role, just Nothing, nobody hung a badge on you and said you're a leader, but you just are. That there's, there's criteria. There's a standard you have to live up to now. If you wake up in the morning and say, well, I'm in this leadership role, but I'm not doing a very good job with it. What do I do? What do I do? What's that? It Take it to the Lord. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. Where what we the verses we've been studying on Sunday, in which we'll I think study the last of it today. That um, Paul's answer to "Shall we sin?" He says, "Don't you realize that who you present yourself to, you are the slave of that person you present yourself to." You know, so. And then he delineates it as either to sin or to the Lord, or to righteousness, as he puts it. So our job is to recognize uh, 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 what the truth is and to believe it. And secondly, we're to present ourselves to the Lord as those that are alive from the dead. Just, I mean, the contrast is night and day, life and death in death i present myself to the world and and it's it's uh it's system as a believer alive from the dead what, i i have the privilege the privilege of presenting myself to god you know i belong to him i'm a i'm a willing slave i want to be you know and so he will do the conforming but i think that's you know our responsibility Okay, uh, young men who are teachers, you said young men are to be teachers. How would their being teachers protect the local church? I want you to go back and look at, uh, uh verse eight, sound and speech, which is beyond reproach so that the, uh, Opponent will be put to shame, having nothing to say about us. Who's the opponent? So Sound speech is really important in this environment when he's talking to young men um, in a position where you can't be legitimately criticized. And even as a young man or, or a young woman, I think in both cases, uh, you can't, you can't be criticized for what you believe and what you profess. You know, in our society, we give, you know, I mean, up into their thirties, we give them the, of the right to be thinking like a teenager, you know. We don't hold in our society. The society doesn't hold to a standard of behavior for young men and women, do they? I'm serious. Do they? They don't. So, and this is not something that a young person is straining at the net to do. It's just part of their life. Okay. Okay, we're going to switch horses now. Any other comments about behavior? Question seven is, does the New Testament decry slavery? Don't shake your head and say something. The New Testament doesn't spend a single line condemning or commanding or suggesting or even discussing the abolition of slavery. Not one line.
1: Yeah, I think that that's kind of surprising into the light of today, where it's a hideous and horrible thing, and all that. Where uh-huh. yeah, many times it's masters and slaves in here, and I, I think you I go back to what Vern had said at one point that like eighty percent of the world at this point were were slaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that <laughs> it was it was the norm to be a slave mm-hmm. in this in this time frame mm-hmm. so I don't know if, you know if that had anything to do with it or you know if, it basically says you know masters and slaves be as unto the Lord you masters be you know kind gentle all this slaves as unto working for the Lord rather than you know there's all sorts of scripture that addresses masters and slaves but mm-hmm. yeah there's never anything that condemns it and I don't know. Like I said, that just is the sign of the times.
0: Well, I, what I'm noticed about like slavery as a that, that that Paul always works on the individual person. He never works on a group, other than the body of Christ. But he's the Word of God focuses on you and you and you. It doesn't focus on a a sweeping change of mores of a society, like slavery. You know, I mean, there's, around the world today, there are a lot of people that are slaves, you know. <laughs> I remember when we went to, uh, uh, what's that, colonial town in Virginia, what's the name of it, um, Williamsburg. One of the things in Williamsburg was that an original plantation, original plantation was a farm, right? That had a fence around it to protect it from animals and stuff. And it had a a building where everybody slept and then a, a building where the kitchen was and another building where the animals were. And, and what what they tell you it's really interesting, you walk in a building that Here's mom and dad, the kids, and the slaves. They all slept in the same room. Because most of the time, the slaves were indentured. They were voluntary. They came to the United States as a voluntary slave and worked for their freedom. So uh, I find that interesting because uh, who would... If you think about it, we, we kind of do that today, you know. I, I, the society is, I, I, I enter as an employee, I enter into a contract with an employer. And I, I agree to do A, B, C, and D. And he agrees to do A, B, C, and D on his part. Uh, whether you are an employee or you have a partnership, you put yourself under obligation. You say that um of course he uh does what he does. Well he he's got a contract between himself and the person that's gonna pay him. If you perform, you get paid. Well it's the same thing with a lot of these slaves, that they performed. That was their job. Now being sin nature being what it is, you end up with with uh, you know what was going on in the South in the mid 1800s, which there were people that when when slavery was abolished, they, they wouldn't leave their masters. They wanted to stay with them. Why? Because they liked it there. They willingly stayed. But society said, "No, no, no, you can't do that." Well, can't? Why can't I make a decision to be a slave? I can, can't I? You know so what we're, what this talks about is that God doesn't God's word does never never does talk about the Reformation of society. It, it talks specifically about the the issue between a individual and their conformity to Christ and that will change society if it needs changing. You know, we live in the society we live in. It's not our job to go change it.
1: Agree? Well, I was thinking, you know, what you're talking about this morning. What the reality is, we're all slaves, either to the sin, to the sin, or to God. That's
0: you know. right. That, well, the re, that's the reality. That's really right. We're born in sin. We're slaves to sin. I'm going to talk about that later. And then, you know, because of the cross of Christ, guess what I get to do? And you get to do. I get to decide that I no longer have to be a slave to sin. I can now become willingly a bondservant of God. Wow, that's pretty cool. But either way, I'm not a free independent agent. You see that? God never designed us and created us to be free independent agents, to, to set our own course and do our own thing. Part of the lie. That's the big lie. You know? We willingly put ourselves under obligation to, to you know, in a thousand different ways. You know? So, uh, purity in the church and not purity of society is the aim of Paul. This doesn't mean that the believers do not have a beneficial effect in the culture in which they live. However, we have a tremendous effect. One of the things we're studying uh, um, on Wednesday night we're studying uh, First and Second Thessalonians, which are really cool books. I, n- I never taught them before. But uh, I was listening to a guy talk about him the other day and he made this comment. He said, do you ever notice that in all of the early churches, there was no department of evangelism? There weren't, there were men who were called evangelists. But he said, look at Thess- Thessalonica, their faith and that faith and that reputation in and of itself. Was an evangelistic effort that people were joining up because of their 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 the fame they had in uh, Greece and Macedonia. That's why, and it was based on the grace they lived under and the love they had for one yeah. another. People would see and hear about that and come and check it out and want to be part of it.
1: Yeah, that you know what when you said that I was thinking that how changing society, whether changing society or bringing people to Christ kind of may go hand in glove, I guess, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking in uh, Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. We're supposed to season the earth with Christ. And then it, it goes on in 14, you are the light of the world. Yeah. And, then, and then 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Yeah. So we're supposed to be the light and salt. Yeah, we are. So how that changes society, or uh, it's to draw men to Christ, but it also seasons, (laughs) sinks the earth with, with, you know, Christ as the flavor.
0: Don't you marvel? I I do sometimes at how God set up society. What's the basic group in society? The family. The family. He starts with the family. There's a mom and a dad and their children. And they function a certain way. And then that, a family moves in next door. And that's what builds, you know. And so if you're going to destroy a society, where do, where do you attack them? You attack the family. You know, the so-called nuclear family. Uh and only, only the body of Christ, I think, maintains the sanctity of the family. Even, even, uh, competing, competing religions really don't, although, and because they're not morally sound people like Islam and these other places, uh, they they put a lot of emphasis on the family, but not the kind of fam, family that the Word of God talks about. You know? So, uh, if I'm, if I'm the enemy, I read the book of Genesis and everything in Genesis, I'm against (laughs) everything, family, everything. And that's where the attack comes from when you look around. That's where it is. It's against everything that God did. So, you know, although slavery, in a lot of cases, isn't good. Slavery, let let me ask you. Let's say you lived in uh, Guatemala and you had nothing, and I mean nothing, and you had an opportunity to come to the United States and indenture yourself to a, a family for X amount of years and they would feed you and clothe you, educate you, and then at the end of... X amount of years, you would be free. Would you do it? I'd do it in a minute. I would do it in a heartbeat. You know. And and today we have young people who won't even go to work because they think something's owed them just because they exist. You know. (laughs) It's, It's amazing to me how how that is, and how it's changed so much. I just, I just looked at the watches. It's a quarter till. All right. Well, next week we'll uh, pick up on question eight, and we'll uh, de- continue to deal with uh, slavery, <laughs> and then a little bit, a bit about employment and employees. And oh, by the way, do slaves have responsibilities? Yeah, they do. Do masters have responsibilities? Sure, they do. So. so let's close. Father, how we thank you for your word and the time to spend discussing it. We thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus, who gave his life for us, to me I, that we might be able to live with you eternally. We pray in his precious name. Amen.